Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Blaine Calkins is a member of parliament for Red Deer and Lacombe in the province of Alberta, Canada. He's also the shadow minister for hunting, fishing, and conservation. He's been essentially a member of parliament for almost 17 years at the end of January. And his chief of staff reached out to me, and number one, absolutely humbled and and, uh, actually quite taken aback that she mentioned that he was a big fan of Blood Origins. And I was like, wow, that's pretty amazing. And uh, he wanted to have a conversation about the Canadian gun issues because he's literally a man in the House of Commons, a member of parliament, that has spoken up against the amendments, as well as C21. And so, of course, I wanted to have him on. I wanted to have a straightforward conversation, as straightforward as you can get in talking to a politician. Um, and I think you're going to quite enjoy it. I, I would warn you that this is a very Canadian-specific podcast. Sure, there's some take-home messages that can be applied across the board, across the world. This really is an informative conversation about the situation that is unfolding right now in Canada and what's likely to happen in the next six weeks to two and a half months. So enjoy. So there's a reason why I started Blood Origins. And that reason is simple. Is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting. It brings awareness to to non-hunters that it's it's more than just killing animals. How do I start it, Brittany? My name. My name. Is <laughs> Does my hair look okay? It's my name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. <laughs> Braxton, you said something in the car to me. You said that you were living on borrowed time. Hmm. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be, and a a feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. Okay. So to give everyone a little bit of context here. Blaine, I'm not going to introduce you officially yet. I'm just going to call you Blaine. Blaine, in a previous existence... What, what was your career? So, um, 
I have graduated from the University of Alberta with a Bachelor of Science in Zoology. I have a conservation law enforcement diploma. I have worked as a national park warden, a fisheries technician, a fishing guide on Great Bear Lake in the north of Canada, and I have been a park ranger conservation officer and the ranger in charge of a provincial park here in Alberta, Canada. And these were all things that I did in my 20s, and I was elected to the House of Commons um, in uh, 2006 uh, in my mid-30s. So when did you become an IT expert? That would have been the first five years of my 30s. Because <laughs> mm, so clearly... I did, some computer, I did some computer programming and uh, some database administration uh, mm. stuff back in those days. It was a, it was a short window. Yeah, it was clearly a short window because the struggle fest that we just went through to get you onto a podcast yeah. link involved three computers, multiple talk-throughs, um, some less than flowery language through a chat. Um, but we have you here, Blaine Calkins, member, um, member of parliament in Canada. I don't want to mess it up. It, it is the House of is the House of Commons. House of Commons, yeah, that's right. House of Commons, Member of Parliament, and how long you said since two thousand and and five you've been doing that? Two thousand and six, I was uh, first elected. Uh, I was elected the uh, the election that Stephen Harper became the Prime Minister of Canada, and I was there the whole time that he was the Prime Minister, and now I've been there since. Justin Trudeau has been the prime minister. So six elections, um, and um, and here I am uh, this January. Actually, if I if I make it to January twenty third, it'll be my seventeenth uh, anniversary. Wow! Congratulations! Congratulations! Did you have did you have aspirations of becoming a politician in in your life, or what caused good the good heavens? Good heavens! No, I, I I'm a so I grew up on a um a cow calf farm ranch whatever you want to call it here in central alberta and uh so i just um grew up you know working playing outside my mm. whole life grew up um with access to firearms uh, as a tool uh for predator control and uh, vermin control um and uh got into hunting and fishing I'm, I'm mostly fishing at the start when i was younger but um evolved into hunting um more recently and uh, just a passionate guy about being outside and uh, working with animals and been around animals and nature and the outdoors my whole life and uh, never ever thought I would end up in politics as a matter of fact if you'd have told me in university that I was going to end up becoming a conservative member of parliament I probably would have laughed at you um, yet here I am um, the thankfully the common sense upbringing that I that I got on the farm uh, outlasted uh, uh, all all attempts to uh, to get me to think differently and sure sure so so here I am and uh, got involved um, as a matter of fact I got involved after I worked for um, the government of Canada for a short stint when I was a park warden and um, I'm um, I grew up working pretty hard Robbie okay um, it's not not easy working on a farm of course it's a it's a more of a labor of love than it is of uh, sure. anything else and um, uh, I realized, you know, I've worked on the oil rigs and stuff here in Alberta. We were blessed with those natural resources, and I know how hard work, how hard some people have to work for their money. And I was not necessarily impressed at how easily the government of Canada spent it on things that I didn't think were worthwhile. So hmm. that's what got me involved in politics. Blaine, seventeen years coming on seventeen years. Are there lots of people? Again, I apologize for not knowing this, but I don't think many people would. Lots of people in that sort of 17 year 20 year reign gap that have seen sort of changes across the board that have happened in canada in the last you know 10 years 15 years well no i i would be one of the longer tenured members of parliament in the house of commons right now there of course there's some that have been there before i got there uh, but uh, the average lifespan of a member of parliament in canada i think is just over six years so okay um yeah, I, I would suggest to you over 80% of the House has changed since my first election, if not more than 90%. Um, but um, yeah, I am. And, and if you'd asked me years ago when I started this, I 
I didn't, uh, some, some people go down there and they buy a secondary residence in Ottawa in the nation's capital. I, I've been renting an apartment the whole time. Had I known I was going to stay 17 years, I probably would have, <laughs> probably would have done that differently. But, um, uh, I'm Alex Rodriguez and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is the deal. Each week you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. No, I just, I'm, I'm passionate about serving my constituents and I'm passionate about uh, the issues that... Um, uh, that are before us and uh, I certainly enjoyed the years that Stephen Harper was the Prime Minister he had respect for gun owners and he he knew um, that uh, hunting and uh, an outdoor way of life was um, uh, you know something that was near and dear to the hearts of millions of people here in Canada I'm just worried that the current government doesn't share that same philosophy is is your jurisdiction your district in Alberta very much a rural one Blaine well it's funny you should say that because the district that I represent has changed. In Canada, every 10 years, there's a mandatory review of the districts to make sure that they hold approximately the same number of people. Okay. So my first three elections, uh, I would have said, yeah, it's very much a rural riding. It was about 45,000 square kilometers um, in uh, between um, Red Deer and Edmonton. The riding was called Wetaskiwin. And uh, it would, it, you know, small towns and, you know, small towns and cities, nothing over, you know, say 12, 13,000 people. And uh, mostly everybody in smaller uh, towns and villages and in the rural countryside. Now, we're, I'm along the very, the very busy corridor that we have in Alberta. Alberta has two major cities, Edmonton and Calgary. And the highway uh, that joins the two is one of the busiest corridors in North America. So I, okay. I, uh, my riding is right on that corridor. So even though it is uh, highly rural, um, it's also, a, I would call it a very busy rural. If you, if you mm. follow me, it's not a, it's not a remote rural type of riding, but the philosophy and mentality of the people that live here, um, very much is, is would be similar to so, somebody that would live, uh, more off the beaten path. So. Okay. So you just, I think you've alluded to this just to reframe the context, grew up with guns. What was what was licensing like when you grew up in Canada? Let me ask that question. Yeah, I don't. I don't even think we had licensing when I was uh, growing up. So I was, though, dating myself. I was born in the late '60s, um, and um, we didn't really have, to my knowledge, I'd have to go back and study the history a little bit more. But in the 1970s is when firearms legislation started to come into place. There was a um, the government started off with something called a firearms acquisition certificate that you needed to have in order to possess and purchase and sell firearms. It was easy to attain. Um, that uh, changed in 1995 with the uh, the government of the day, which was uh, the previous majority liberal government prior to Stephen Harper. Uh, Alan Rock brought forward a bill, Bill C-68, which uh, changed the rules significantly, uh, changed the FAC, I believe, into a possession acquisition and possession-only license. Uh, that okay. required uh, training, uh, it required background checks, it required uh, a lot of vetting. Um, so that was in place in 1995? 1995, yeah. So okay. you go back to the 70s, for example, too, and I should be very, very clear, in Canada, you cannot have an automatic firearm of any description whatsoever. So you have to go back to the 70s. You can go back to the 1930s. Even since the, seven, since the 70s, you couldn't do that? Yeah, since the 70s. Since the okay. 1930s, there's been a, 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 um, a registry for things like handguns. So, for okay. example, you, you, you haven't even had, to, if you have a handgun in Canada, the government knows everybody who legally has a, a handgun in Canada. They know who they okay. are. They know what handgun you have. And that's been since, I believe it was the 1930s. So, I mean, this is how long the, uh, the legislation uh, has been well, around in Canada. Can I, can I maybe just dive down a rabbit hole very quickly? And I know that we've been trying to set it up, but then what's the point of a law to... to the, the law, right? Not the law. The proposal is to ban handguns, right? So what the government is doing through Bill C-21, what the original intent of the bill was, or at least that's what they led the public and the parliament to believe, was to 
so because there's a registry and because we have basically three categories of firearms in Canada, there's prohibs, prohibited yep. firearms. So these are your automatic weapons. These are your automatic firearms. These are your um, cer certain fire, like gr grenades, these kind of, like things that civilians sure. it's been determined here in Canada ought not to have in their possession, these kinds of things. Uh, then you have a restricted firearm. Um, and you need to get a certain course. You need to take a restricted possession acquisition license. That's an RPAL. That's one step up from a possession acquisition license. And this would be your handguns would be in the restricted category. A restricted firearm is a firearm that you can only have. You must constantly be in, uh, in touch with the uh, lo your local police, and you must let them know, the firearms officer know, where you have that firearm. It has to be stored. It has to be double locked, which means you have to have a triple lock on it, a trigger lock on it, plus it has to be in a, either a lock box or in a in a gun vault. And the government checks that? And uh, Well, they can. Uh, they certainly have okay. the authority to do that. And you can only take it. You have certain conditions on your license that allow you to take it from your place of residence to the, the most direct route to a range, an authorized range, and back. That's the only place you can take it. So if you want to take it to a gunsmith, you have to phone the, the uh, firearms officer and say, I need to take my gun in for service. I need to take my gun to a competition. So I need to take it somewhere other than a range that I would normally go to. And you have to get permission from the government in order to do that. So that's your restricted firearms. That would also include things uh, up until Justin Trudeau. That would include things like an AR-15, for example. So okay. when you hear when you hear Justin Trudeau say nobody needs an AR-15 to hunt deer in Canada, it shows his lack of knowledge because nobody uses an AR-15 to hunt deer in Canada because an AR-15 is a restricted firearm. The only place you and can you can't right. You can only go you, between your house and your range. And the range, the only place that you would lawfully have that firearm is is at the range, your house, or in between. So, interesting, interesting. Yeah. But so, and the registry, the... everyone knows, the Canadian government knows everyone who owns a, fire, uh, a handgun. Every, law, every lawful firearm owner, yes. So is there statistics that have shown lawful handguns being involved in incidences, since they've got a record of every single handgun, every single person, are there incidences where they have tracked us down to say this is a problem and we need to ban the 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 lice these guys that have handgun licenses? So what the police are telling the government is that over eighty five percent of the firearms and handguns that are used uh, on the streets uh, in the commission of an offense are illegally smuggled in firearms, generally coming in from the United States. Not to not to uh, blame our our brothers uh, and sisters sure, to the sure. south. Uh, but that uh, seems to be the case, and the ones that uh, that we are able to track are generally firearms that have been stolen uh, from people who are law-abiding firearms owners. So uh, these people are possessing the firearms illegally. They're either possessing a smuggled gun or they're possessing a stolen gun. So that's uh, that's how that happens. Very very how? few crimes, very very few crimes are actually committed by a law-abiding. So in fact, the safest person you can be around in Canada is a fully vetted. Because we get checked every five years. We get checked every day to make sure that we haven't done anything. So there's an automatic continuous eligibility check every day. So, for example, if I were to do something uh, to assault, uh, assault somebody or whatever the case might be, a flag would be placed on my file. And the next day, the police would be at my house and they would be taking mm -hmm. my firearms uh, in the interim until the matter has been resolved. And if the matter is resolved peacefully, then I can get my firearms back. If not, then my firearms would be forfeit to the Crown. So. Uh, that's uh, how that process generally works in mm -hmm, Canada. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I apologize. You were going from the restricted uh, position acquisition law to the ne the, the level down, so, which is your your pal, yeah. right? So, so there's prohibited firearms, there's restricted firearms, and there's non-restricted firearms. So this would be your typical, um, you know, hunting rifle. It would be your your twenty twos, shotguns. Uh, it would include a, a large variety of pistol caliber carbines. Um, it would be uh, semi-automatics. Sh I should also let you know that in Canada, in, when it comes to a long gun, uh, generally speaking, if you have a semi-automatic firearm, you are uh, you are by law. If you have a magazine, that magazine can only hold five rounds. So okay. we, we don't even we don't even have um, even your AR-15 as a restricted firearm. If you took it to the range, the most you could load into a magazine, a lawful magazine, would be five rounds. And uh, okay. if you have a magazine capable of doing more than that, you are offside with federal law, with, with criminal law. So okay. there, there are very, it's very restrictive. Look, uh, Robbie, at the, at the end of the day, um, 
there's really not much more you can ask from a law-abiding firearms owner in Canada. We have strict storage laws. We have strict transportation laws. Uh, we have, um, we're fully vetted every five years. Our license gets renewed. We go through background checks every time. The law has been recently changed, which means that they, they don't just go back and look the last five years. They can go right back to when you were 18 years old and start all over again and investigate your character and uh, make a determination as to whether or not you should be allowed to continue to possess uh, a firearms license. And every gun in Canada is illegal unless it's in the hands of a, of a licensed firearms owner. So mm -hmm. the only people in Canada that are allowed to have in their possession a firearm is a licensed firearms owner. Every mm -hmm. other gun is illegal. So in 20, let, let, so let's, let's build the case to sort of what, what's happening right now, because I want to sort of give everyone the history. Maybe somebody's not listened to the podcast that we've done before on this. This is the first podcast they're coming across. So in 2020 is when sort of the shifting started to occur, right, Blaine? Well, it actually started uh, when the change of government happened and Justin Trudeau became the prime minister. Um, and he uh, brought forward in his majority parliament a bill C seventy one, which changed the number of the firearms laws. It changed the uh, it changed the um, the laws in regards to uh, transportation of, uh, of handguns and your RPAL licensing. It changed uh, the vetting process. When was that? So that would have been uh, prior to twenty nineteen. Okay. So okay. and then we had a twenty nineteen election and a twenty twenty one election. Yep. Uh, and then what we had happen was um, we had a shooting event in Canada, a very tragic shooting event, where somebody who was prohibited, uh, so we have prohibition orders, you can be prohibited from owning firearms or having in your possession firearms in Canada. Uh, a, a, uh, an individual in Nova Scotia, uh, disguised as a police officer, went on a uh, murderous rampage. Uh, and um, as a response, the government used that uh, as a... Um, as a launch to um, basically uh, change, they put an order, something called an order in council. So it's like, um, it's like uh, I would guess it would be the equivalent of the president uh, doing an executive order. They did okay. an order in council and they uh, moved from, uh, they moved a number of firearms from the restricted category into the prohibited category. That included the AR-15s, uh, about 1500 variants of uh, various AR-15s, AR-10s, uh, and a number of other uh, firearms immediately went into the prohibition category um, and then fast forward to uh, the parliament that we have now uh, where they tabled bill c21 and what if what this bill effectively does was supposed to do was ban the transfer so when i buy a firearm from a vendor or from another person um, and this is something that the, the government also brought into place they would I, I have to make sure that i have a valid license and i have to make sure the person i'm buying it from whether it's another business or another person so if it's a person to person transfer business to business transfer or business to person transfer both parties need to verify that they are they have valid current valid licenses to have okay. firearms so that's uh, verified and checked uh, but what the government's doing with bill c21 is they're banning the transfer so i can no longer go to a store and purchase a handgun um, i cannot bequeath my handgun to my children who uh when, when i die i cannot sell my handgun back to a business i cannot sell my handgun back to another individual who has a, a, the, the, the right license. So basically what they've done is they've made my property valueless. I can only have it now and use it until I am dead, and then that property is now forfeit to the Crown with so, no compensation. That's what they're what proposing. About, I thought then, there was a bunch of other stuff that was added. There was a bunch of yeah, guns yeah, that have now become saying. illegal, right? So, so, so the way that process works in Canada is... The government tables a bill, in this case it was Bill C-21, it was debated at second reading in the House of Commons. Members of Parliament, such as myself, would get up and speak to this. It would go to a vote, and if enough members of Parliament wanted to pass it, if the majority of MPs voting that day passed it, it goes to committee. Correct. So in this case, it went to the Public Safety Committee, where they were studying the handgun transfer. All of the witnesses and everybody that they would have brought in was, was talking strictly about Bill C-21. The scope of Bill C-21 is to talk about handguns. Okay. And the transfer. And then uh, at committee, one of the Liberal MPs just table dropped a slew of amendments that are right. several hundred pages thick that go well beyond the handgun issue. And they go back now to this order in council that I was talking about uh, after that shooting in Nova Scotia. And now they've tried to table drop all of the amendments that were in that order in council, plus a lot more into some amendments 
to Bill C-21, which significantly broadens the number of firearms that are captured uh, in that piece of legislation, moving them all into the prohibited list, and a vast number of them uh, actually turned out to be um, firearms that are, I, well, I would argue virtually all of them could be capable of used for hunting. And uh, sure. I would argue that a, a, a hunting firearm is a is a firearm that a hunter is comfortable using for the purpose of hunting. Doesn't matter what it looks like; it matters uh, what it what it can do. Many of these guns, almost all of them, are legal hunting firearms according to the provincial and territorial governments' hunting regulations. But they're making them illegal anyway. And this is where you've got people like Carrie Price, who uh, came out uh, against this. Uh, you've uh, and a number of other. Uh, the Assembly of First Nations is the national group of all the um, uh, indigenous people in Canada, they've come out and they are unanimous. Um, and it's very hard to be, it's very hard in Canada to be unanimous about anything, but they're unanimous in their uh, disapproval of these uh, proposed changes on the legislation as well, because uh, it does uh, it does go into uh, into the deeply into the realm of hunting firearms. And um, so now uh, it was primarily sports shooters, so people who go to the range that were largely affected by the previous changes. Uh, now. Um, no, every hunter in Canada has their backup about what the government is doing. So, in that committee stage, if, if people aren't familiar with sort of the the process in the in sort of the in the parliament type setting in Canada, House of Commons first reading, second reading, committee stage, then it's going to go. So, we're we're in committee stage now. All these amendments got dropped. Does that bring it back to first reading now, or does it come out of committee and go straight into third reading, and now everyone sort of has another say, essentially? Well, right now, the, it's still in that committee stage, and the committee has taken several decisions on whether or not it wants to go back and invite more um, witnesses to come and talk about the amendments. Um, and the political parties, uh, the there's basically four political parties at the table. So the Liberals, which have a minority government, they're the ones that are proposing legislation and the amendments. The NDP, which is their kind of unofficial coalition partner through a yep. supply and confidence motion, has yep. been in lockstep with the government up until this point. And the Bloc Québécois, which is a kind of a bizarre sovereigntist, uh, Quebec-only, French-issue-only uh, party that we have in one province of our country, have been locked in lockstep with the government on this as well, and it's only been but there's, so there's no conservatives in in the committee. Level. No, the conservatives. No, the conservatives in the committee. There's we have, but we're outnumbered. Oh, okay. okay. To say. So, so there's eleven voting members of the committee. Four of them are conservatives. The rest are members of these other parties. But um, important constituencies to the bloc and the NDP are First Nations and Indigenous people, and now they've had to reconsider because that constituency is now. Uh, very frustrated with the legislation. So uh, the government has uh, stepped into, it's basically um, um, uh, stepped into a hornet's nest here yeah, and uh, yeah. is trying to sort itself out uh, and going through this, what I would consider to be a useless debate on dis trying to discern what's a hunting rifle and what's not a hunting rifle based on what they look like. Um, well, even it, the it, energy expense, ex you well, know, the, the 10,000 yes. joule, I know that that was something that didn't come to the table today and was in place in 2019, but it seems ridiculous that you're going to make a weapon prohibited or not. Or maybe you can clarify here for me, well, you know, 10,000 joules so got, or not. Yeah, they've got these three evergreening clauses uh, that they're trying to use to circumscribe firearms that are legal versus uh, prohibited. One of them is the, is the 10,000 joules. So the law reads uh, that it, uh, any firearm capable of discharging a projectile with a force cap now the word is capable capable of discharging a projectile with a force of 10,000 joules so that would be your 460 um weatherby even okay. though most most 460 weatherbys aren't loaded to 10,000 joules the government's firearms ex expert says that it could be capable <laughs> to uh, be okay. loaded to 10,000 joules so of course now, any firearm that's capable of putting a 460 barrel on the on the frame or on the receiver uh, is now also prohibited because you might only have a 30 odd six. But if you can change and put a 460 Weatherby in and change the bolt uh, mm. in the barrel, that firearm. So now you see the trickle down effect, which is why you've got Weatherby Mark Fives and a whole bunch of other firearms uh, caught up in it. So that's one evergreening clause is that is that um, force. 
another um, evergreen evergreen clause the government likes to call it is a bore diameter of over an inch which if you based on the way that we used to measure bore diameters you would take uh, you would take the choke out of a shotgun for example out of a 12 gauge if you take the choke out and you measure the internal bore diameter uh, it's over an inch, so that would make that rendered a number of 12 gauge shotguns. The government's now clarified where they do that measurement to get out of that pickle, but that's it's just another pattern of showing that they actually don't know what they're doing, they don't know what they're talking about. There's nobody there that actually, um, and at, at least at the political level, that has a basic understanding of how a firearm uh, functions. And then the third evergreening clause is now they're going after every center fire rifle and shotgun. Uh, that is in a semi-automatic firearm that is capable or is designed to receive a magazine capable of holding more than five rounds. Now, I've already discussed with you that in Canada, it's illegal to have a magazine that has mm. more than five rounds. Right. But if you take a look at uh, a Remington uh, 7, I don't know, what is this, a 742 or whatever it is, is that, uh, okay. that, that firearm, according to uh, the website, if you take a look at it, uh, or the 7400, uh, they make a four-round magazine, a 10-round magazine, and a 20-round magazine. Even though now, those magazines are illegal in Canada. They, they are, but the firearm is designed to accept all three of those magazines. So because of the wording, the weasel, I call it weasel words, uh, that the government is using, uh, this firearm is now on the prohibited list because it is designed to accept all magazines for a Remington, a Remington 742 can accept is designed to accept all magazines that are designed to work for a Remington 742. Mm -hmm. Duh. Mm -hmm. um, and um, so now all it takes is the stroke of a pen of an individual uh, in the firearms uh, center here in Canada to say, uh, because this rifle can accept a magazine that holds 10 or 20 rounds, uh, this is now prohibited. So that would be your 30 odd sixes. It would be whatever your 308s. Um, it doesn't matter because, um, that that rifle, that semi-automatic rifle, can accept a cartridge. Uh, is designed to accept a cartridge that may have more than five rounds in it. So you can see the foolishness of this, this exercise. And I call it a fool's errand. It, it's like you, 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 we we have so many foolish laws here when it comes to firearms, um, because it's it's just it's it's impossible to sort these things out. And the real issue we have, Robbie, in Canada, is violent crime, and none of this addresses violent crime. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, <laughs> the, the statistics don't bear out that right. law abiding. When you make when you make laws for law abiding people, the only people that follow them are law abiding people. Criminals don't follow the law. So when you make more laws, all you're doing is making life more miserable for people who follow the law. You're not actually sure, making anything sure. more difficult for criminals. So the issue is violent crime, and the government's doing very little to stem the flow of illegal firearms. And they're actually um, they're actually making the criminal code uh, easier for people to get away with dangerous offenses. For example, they've removed minimum prison sentences for numerous firearms-related offenses, including holding a gun to somebody's head for extortion. Like, these are the kinds of things that, mm -hmm. that just don't make any sense mm -hmm. here in Canada. I, it's upside, everything's upside down, it seems. Blaine, have you seen, you know, you've been there a long time, and that's why I wanted the context in the beginning. You've been there for 17 years. In the last month, before Christmas break, let's call it that, what it, what, what it is, before Christmas break, what I heard, and I want to hear from someone who's in the room, that's why I wanted to talk to you. Have you seen all of the political parties, maybe not the liberals in this case, but the rest of you literally all stand up and say, we're on the same page here? No. No. Um, I still firmly believe that the liberals, the bloc and the NDP, want to go through the exercise of deciding what is a hunting rifle and what is a non-hunting rifle. Uh, it's just that now they're concerned. The only thing that's concerned concerning the liberals, or sorry, the bloc and the NDP is, is the fact that they want to get their, um, they want to get their constituency back in their, they don't want to get offside with their constituency, which is the first nations and indigenous people in Canada when it comes to hunting. I don't think they care a whole lot about non-Indigenous But haven't we heard like people from the bloc and the NDP saying that these amendments are crazy? They, they do, but that doesn't mean they don't want the amendments. They want the amendments changed so that their constituency is pleased. They're, they're only willing to go far enough to please their constituency, and then they're fine with the legislation. Whereas conservatives say this doesn't make any sense. There's no point in 
squeezing any more um, out of law-abiding firearms owners. I mean, you can, there's, there is nothing more probably that you can ask a law-abiding Canadian firearm owner to do than just to give up their fire. There is really, with all the rules, all the regulations, everything that we have to go through, there is nothing else that, more that you can ask of us other than just giving up our guns, which is what the government's asking us to do. And of course, this policy will not do anything to enhance public safety. And when that happens, they're going to say, okay, well, we need to go get more guns. That's the, that's the political narrative. It's a political exercise. It's not a public safety exercise in any way, shape or form. So, um, yeah, I, I don't, I don't, I don't see the block and the NDP coming over to the philosophical viewpoint of the conservatives. I see them only going as far as they need to go in order to stay on side with their constituency. And then they're more than willing to let everything else go. Well, I, that's understandable, right? Because they're not conservatives. <laughs> they're the block and the and the NDP for a reason. Um, but in this in this instance, the thing that we are, and maybe I can get some clarity from you, the thing that we're most worried about, of course, and that you know better than anyone, politics is about compromise. At the end of the day. At the end of the day, what do we what do we want to come out of this circumstance, Blaine? We want the the amendments tied to law abiding hunting style weapons to not be put in place. And I I apologize for making it so simplistic, but it's what my mind can wrap itself around right now. Well, from from our perspective, and our leader Pierre Polyev has said this. We just had a leadership race. We have a new leader of our of our political party here in Canada. Um, our focus is going. We're going to focus our efforts and focus our resources. I'll give I'll give you an example. Uh, and I brought this up at committee uh, during the debate on C seventy one. Various think tanks here in Canada have pegged the cost of compensating firearms owners to be somewhere near $5 billion Canadian dollars. Mm -hmm. That's how much the government will have to pay out, likely somewhere in that neighborhood, between 5 and 10. So let's use the low number. $5 billion to buy firearms from law-abiding firearms owners, if they choose, of course, to, to follow the law, which most Canadian firearms owners will do, of course. Um, that money, it costs about $3 million US dollars to get a modern container or vehicle scanning device at a port of entry. Canada has 119 ports of entry. You take $5 billion, you convert it to US dollars, you divide that by $3 million. That would give us 10 scanning devices at every port of entry, where we would not only find smuggled guns, but other contraband drugs, human trafficking, just about anything that we uh, mm -hmm. could be potentially looking for. Mm -hmm. But instead, we're going to take property away from law, from the, probably the most law-abiding, probably like I like I said earlier, the statistics bear out that the most law-abiding citizens in Canada are law-abiding, like because we're so vetted. Like it's, yeah, sure. You, it's it's a test. It's a test. You have to, you, your nose has to be pretty darn clean here in Canada in order to possess a firearm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, that's that's where we're going to focus. We're going to focus on the border. We're going to focus on organized crime. We're going to get into our communities and try and keep young people out of getting involved with organized crime, uh, strengthen our criminal code, give our courts and our police the resources that they need, our border agents the, the resources that they need to keep Canadians safe. Because we know at the end of the day, that's the hard work that needs to be done to actually make any, uh, to make the needle move at all on public safety. Um, this, this, this political exercise by the government is based on a, a fear campaign that they've created um, and that the public in some of our, I would, I would argue the public in some of our larger urban centers who might not be as uh, knowledgeable about the true facts about uh, firearm ownership can easily be scared into believing that uh, giving up the guns is, uh, law-abiding citizens giving up their guns is going to make their community safer and it's simply not going to happen. So it's a lie. So, so what what happens next let's let's go to what happens next let's i i get what the conservatives stand for and um i i i applaud what what you're what you're striving for but we've got this amendment we've got these these series of amendments that have now been dropped around c21 we don't want you know we I, i'm close i'm calling myself a we in the canada circumstance 
the amendments don't make any sense. Everyone feels like they they don't make any sense. Even constituents of the opposition party, the NDP and the Bloc, that hopefully will modify those amendments. At the end of the day, obviously we want the, the let me ask some straightforward questions. At the end of the day, the best case scenario here is amendments get dropped. Correct? Oh, that would be. Yeah. I... Yeah. The, but... the, the best case, the, the best case scenario. I don't think it's going to happen. I think the amendments okay. will be amended. Okay. Um, but, um, and they're only going to be amended so far. And like I said, uh, there, there will be, until those amendments satisfy the constituencies that are important to the bloc and the NDP. Um, that's and what are those amendments? Do we know what those amendments to the amendments may well, look like? No, I, I mean, I, I, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't hazard a guess. Uh, we, 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 we would simply, as conservatives, we would just. Um, but you must know what they're just, looking for. You must know. Are well, they looking for? Yeah, so, so, okay, the language exactly. of the semi-automatic to be changed? Are yeah. they looking for the centerfire language to be changed? Well, let, let me give you an example of, of some of the ridiculousness of this. So they're, they're enshrining in, in, in law now what used to be done through regulations. Um, in that four or 500 pages of firearms that are being moved into the prohibited category are virtually is, there's a clause there. We, for some reason, we treat Benelli, the Benelli family of shotguns completely differently than everybody else. So the list largely consists of firearms that are prohibited, except for Benelli's, which says that every Benelli is prohibited except for these ones, which are the exception list. Now in Canada, it takes, you know, most of the time it takes a, a good portion of a year to pass a piece of legislation. It has to go all through all three readings in the House of Commons, it has to go through all the same political um, process in our Senate. It's very, it's, 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 it's hard to get a bill passed in, you know, in nine months is probably the best you can do. So if this bill were to pass in its current form with the amendments, um, every SKS in Canada would be prohibited. Uh, the SKS which is a very, is which is a very indigenous used firearm, correct? It is, it is, it's used by every, it's not just indigenous. This is a very, um, very common firearm. Now in Canada, as you would know, that comes with a 10-shot clip that you can top yep. load in. Uh, in Canada, every SKS that's sold here has to be pinned to, to five, so you can only slide the first five in. Mm -hmm. uh, that's as, because that's the laws here in Canada. Yep. Uh, the, yeah, the rifle itself is, depending on where you go, around two to $300. And uh, the ammunition is relatively uh, affordable. So, of course, this is a very popular hunting firearm. Uh, it's very accurate to about two or 300 yards. It's a... It's a good enough firearm to, to bring down virtually every uh, large game animal that we have in Canada. So, of course, it's a very, very popular firearm. Uh, I don't see how you can change the semi-automatic clause in any way, shape, or form to just simply exclude the SKS without opening up the whole can of worms about uh, Remingtons and other types of firearms that are semi-automatic that are sp specifically designed for hunting as well. So, uh, it's a, like I said, the, the whole process is a fool's errand. In Canada, every province and territory is responsible for managing and administering wildlife management and hunting. They create all the hunting regulations with the exception of migratory birds. That's the only thing that's, because it's a, because it's a migratory animal, that's the only one uh, that I can think of off the top of my head that we jointly manage with the United States and others. And that's the only one that yep. we have to have a federal license to, uh, to hunt with. But you also still need a provincial license to hunt and a federal license to hunt at the same time to, to shoot ducks or geese, for example. Um, so every province and territory, none of them are uh, none of them are prescriptive. They simply say you need to have this caliber. You have to follow the fi federal firearms rules, but you need to have at least this caliber to say to hunt a, a large game. You can't use anything smaller than this. You can't use anything smaller than this for for ducks or geese or whatever the case might be. Um, so every every one of these firearms, if it's in the hand of a hunter for the purpose of hunting, it's a hunting rifle. It's a hunting mm -hmm. shotgun. It, it, like you cannot, but to the liberal mind, they they just want to get rid of all. I actually firmly believe, Robbie, that they do want to get rid of all fire. They want to disarm. Generally but, speaking, but, they want to disarm. but that amendment, that specific, that SKS is a good example of what may change, what may get amended to the amendments, right? Uh, 
I, I, I think, I think it's going to be proposed, but I don't think it's going to pass. What, what's going to be? Oh, the amendment, the amendment of removing the SKS or some sort of language is not going to pass in from the liberal side. And they're going to keep it in. Well, the SKS isn't, to my knowledge, isn't specifically named in the document. If it's specifically named in the documents, there's two clauses. There's the evergreen clause on the semi-automatics, and then there's a list of guns. If it's listed in the, so that's the, there's a section four amendment and the section 46 amendment. The section 46 uh, proposal, the number 46 proposal is the list. Um, whereas the evergreen clause, which is the, the uh, motion number four, uh, G4 amendment, is the evergreen clause. The SKS gets caught up in, I think, in both of them. So you'd have to amend so right now, if let me uh, let me just write... yeah. just to clarify, just to clarify, right now, is or is not is the SKS right now captured as going onto the prohibited guns list? It would be yes captured no? in two places. It would be captured in two places. Okay, so I be I believe it's on the list. Okay, and I believe, and it would get caught up in the evergreening clause as well. Okay, so. Going back to my point, that could be a place where the amendments that got dropped into in the committee get amended because the constituents of the block in the NDP are like, whoa, 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 this is crazy. Yeah, I would suggest to you that the block in the NDP would probably be okay with that. I can't speak for them, but I can tell you that in the year-end interview, the Prime Minister of Canada said that um, some people are going to be upset with the fact that uh, some of those firearms that are used are not going to be allowed to be kept. It's just the way. So I, I think that, I think there's a showdown coming. And I think this, uh, this agreement between the, uh, the NDP and the Liberals on, on, on this might, um, might be fractured over this issue, if you can believe such a thing. No, I totally think it's going to be fractured because, again, of the people that are stand that have stood up in the last month in the House of Commons saying, like, I, you know, I don't speak French, but I, you know, we, I posted about that, you know, I didn't post it, we shared it, but it was a, a member of the House of Commons, um, um, obviously a colleague of yours, that stood up in French and said, I'm not a hunter. I have, and he wasn't. On, he wasn't in your party. He was, I think, an NDP or a block. I assume maybe he was a block because he spoke French. But and I apologize for the assumption there. Um, but said, I'm not a hunter, but I enjoy a deer hamburger. I enjoy a deer patty. And I don't see why we're targeting lawful hunters here, lawful firearm hunters in this, in this, in this. And maybe at, at that stage, maybe let me ask this question. At that stage, when these guys were saying this, were they reacting to the amendments, or were they reacting still to C21? They're reacting to the amendments. They're, they're okay. full in favor of C21. They're fully in favor of banning the, the, the handgun transfer. So, uh, And they were fully in favor of doing the amendments right up until the public got wind of what the amendments actually entailed. So like I said, they've been complicit all the way through with the government's agenda until their constituents started putting up a fuss. Well, that's politics right there. That's politics, yeah. That is politics. Um, but they didn't. the fact that they didn't know any better before they allowed it to get this far also tells you that they don't. Not they're, in they're, touch. They're, they're not in touch, and, and there is no solution here. You, you can't ban semi-automatics and not ban the SKS. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or it would be very and, hypocritical of you to say, well, we'll ban semi-automatics and then... Again, we're talking about politics here, Blaine. You're you're yeah. 17 years versed into politics, with the yeah. exception of SKS. Well, we already have a number of laws that are like that in Canada, where these exceptions exist that that make no sense. So, is it feasible and is it possible that this could happen? I think it will be proposed, but it'll I I can't predict what the outcome of that that vote would be. So, Blaine, are we looking at when you you're back in session next week, um, when does this start picking up steam again? When do they start like really like okay, where do we go from that committee stage? Like when when do things start turning around or moving forward? So it's 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 what's likely to happen is the committee will spend a little bit more time consulting with Canadians about the proposed amendments because the people who came to originally testify at the committee 
were testifying about handgun transfers. They weren't testifying about hunting rifles, right? So now we right. have to go back and and uh, and talk to uh, other people, uh, other witnesses. They want to hear from from folks before they are willing to pass judgment on amending the amendments, withdrawing the amendments. Um, like I said, from a conservative perspective, we just we would withdraw all the amendments, and we would even withdraw right. Bill C twenty one because it doesn't go after the right people. But I. I repeating myself now uh but that process <laughs> would uh likely start up at the end of january uh and i'm i'm thinking that we would uh see we would see the committee coming to terms with the legislation again sometime mid to late february if not early march depending on how much work the committee does and how much time they take talking to uh, more witnesses okay okay well we still got a bit of time um but yeah, I, look, I just appreciate you coming on, man. I appreciate the willingness for someone like you to come on. Um, well, hey, I look over my shoulder. I, I'm, uh, I don't, I don't hide who I am. No, hundred percent, hundred percent. It's it's certainly a delicate subject, and you know, we waited a long time to sort of weigh into it, to think about it, to talk about it, because. We just didn't know a lot about it. It's such a, you know, obviously it's a very different political system than the U.S. system, and people get confused, and it, it, and rightfully so, right? There's a there's a much different way about how things are done. Um, well, there, is, I mean, the United States, you guys have a constitutional, you guys actually have a constitutional amendment that that clarifies mm -hmm. or a constitutional clause. Uh, in your in your constitution we don't even have basic property rights in our constitution that's there's what michael hunter can... said like there's nothing to say that someone the government can't come and take your house away from you whenever they want right yeah. so 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 here's an angle that i don't think very many people are talking about now that the minister of public safety just recently mused about uh how they're going to deliver the um the confiscation and the uh and the uh compensation components if they were to get that far um, but my understanding of the law in Canada, so there's two ways uh, that laws can be made in Canada. One is uh, a government can, through an existing law, make an amendment through something called an order in council. So that would be yep. the prime minister with their cat, with his cabinet, his or her cabinet, simply scribbling something out in a regulation, passing it, making it law, comes into effect. And when that happens, um, we do have a Bill of Rights in Canada that uh, uh, Prime Minister Diefenbaker put in place back in the 60s. So when the government deprives people of their property in that way, people are entitled to fair and reasonable compensation mm. for that property. However, my understanding of the law, based on some of the people that I've spoken with, and I don't, I would be curious to find out and get more clarity on this. But if Parliament passes a piece of legislation that deprives people of their property, that's due, that's considered due process. Mm. And there may and not maybe be you this, cannot be compensated for it. They're, they're, the government may not be obligated to compensate. Interesting. So uh, that is another um, that, that is something that I'm seeking some clarification on as well. Uh, so basically, to sum that up, the government can't take your property away, but Parliament can. Mm. So uh, that might be one of the reasons why the government is taking all of their order and council business that they had from uh, back in the, the spring of 2020 and now moving it into uh, amendments into legislation because if they've figured that out, uh, then maybe that's why they're doing that. Because like I said, the number, the number could be astonishingly huge. And that order of council amendments to everyone's edification again is those variances um, on different well, firearms, right? So that the original order in council would have been the AR-15s, AR-10s, a number of semi-automatics, um, what the government casually coins as assault-style mm -hmm. uh, weapons, um, which would include a, an SKS now in this particular case. But they've taken all of that plus added a whole bunch more and brought it in as amendments, proposed amendments in Bill C-21. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. Well, Blaine, again... That's where, that's where we're at. <laughs> again, thank you. Thank you for clarifying, number one. Number two, I'm incredibly proud that there's only a couple of stump speeches in there, in the, you know, from a, from a politician perspective, and I totally get it, but 
I, I, I want to say thank you for just being like having a conversation with me because, you know, I've lived the political game for probably 15 years. Um, and I really enjoy straight, straight talk conversations with politicians. And sometimes you don't get it, right? You never know what you're going to get. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And anyway. Number two, I am, I am humbled, totally humbled. When I reached out to your chief of staff and asked about, like, would you be even interested in, in talking to me and, and us at Blood Origins? And her response was, oh, he knows about you already. And to me, that was like, I had the, and we haven't sworn at all in this entire podcast. And, but I said, I had the biggest shit-eating grin for <laughs> quite some time. Let me tell yeah. you that. Um, so thank you, man. I'm, that's all I can say. Well, well, my pleasure. And thank you for doing what you're doing because you're continually advocating and continually working hard to defend hunting, to defend hunters, to defend our outdoor way of life, to promote conservation. Um, I, I'm particularly proud of how you send out the message. Look, I know it and you know it, that hunting um, is is what's keeping some cer certain species alive, and it's mm -hmm. keeping abundance up. Even uh, recently, um, the Smithsonian had a report on. Um, there's an article out on on birds and how bird populations are in serious decline in North America. Or at least this is what the what the thought is, except for ducks and geese. And the article even points out. That the reason that ducks and geese are flourishing is because they're hunted. Yeah. And because organizations like Ducks Unlimited, Delta Waterfowl, and others are making these efforts to create abundance, to save the habitat that works, that save the habitat that matters, create and enhance the habitat that matters. And and as a result, uh, one of the, 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 the only birds that are not in decline in North America. And anybody who goes to a park in the city would know this. <laughs> but the, there's geese everywhere. <laughs> At least they are in Canada in the summertime. You can't you can't walk peacefully down the bank of a of a river in, in anywhere in Canada without being accosted by geese in the spring protecting their goslings. Um, but that's that's what we do as hunters, right? And it's doesn't seem to matter where it is in the world when um, when we actually get actively involved. Well, we not only save the habitat and we put our money where our mouth is. Mm -hmm. uh, we uh, we do the hard work and the heavy lifting, and uh, because we all want to, at the end of the day, we all want abundance. We want enough abundance that we can take some. We can take a sustainable amount, mm -hmm. and we're willing. We're willing to use our after. So name name another. So so wildlife management in North America is, is as you know, the North American model of wildlife management. The resource belongs to the public. Name another. So our states and provinces are responsible for managing this wildlife, managing the populations. Name name another government agency where people purchase a license in order to participate in helping the government manage its wildlife and populations. Yeah, sure. no. We actually pay for the privilege to help the government. Yeah. Do its job. Willing for that's what hunters Yeah, that that's what hunters do. Mm hmm For a second there I thought you were going to go down the rabbit hole of the reason we have a decline in all other bird species is feral cats, and I was going to cut you off because that's a topic that you 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 may lose your constituency seat over. Um. <laughs> no, well, look, you know, I, I I I don't I don't know what the cause is, but I, I do know this. I do know I do know that when hunters get involved, hunt, hunters and and where there is relatively good governance in in managing um, habitat and species. Um, that those animals will be <laughs> cared for and protected because they provide a revenue source, they provide work, they provide jobs, opportunities, and hunters will will hunters will do everything they can to ensure abundance. Yep, all across the world happens all across the world. Ben Calkins, thank you so much, my man. Um, hopefully, it's not the last time we get to speak to each other. Uh, anytime, I appreciate the interest. I hope I answered your questions. Uh, I didn't get uh, terribly political, but um, uh, the, the only, um, I'll just say this, the only, 
if you're a law-abiding firearms owner in Canada, the the only hope you have is um, is a conservative government because um, this 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 slope that we're on right now will is is the slope that we told uh, we told hunters this a long time ago when they were going after sports shooters they're going to come for your guns next and they said no they are not but uh, here we are and um, it's um, that that's the reality that's uh, facing us as hunters here in Canada so I appreciate your interest I appreciate the fact that this message will get out and uh, help help me share this message the only only way to to stop this is a conservative government in Canada there we go well that's it for today I appreciate you listening. As always, leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly, do what's right to convey the truth around hunting.